Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Eamon Burdett. How to receive the seal of God and refuse the mark of the beast. So this morning, I want you to think more about the seal of God than the mark of the beast. Amen? I want you to concentrate on that, not only today, I'll just pull this out, but every day between now and the second coming. We should be more focused upon the seal of God rather than the mark of the beast. Amen? That's very, very important. One of the hottest topics in the Bible, and also probably one of the most misunderstood, would be the mark of the beast. If the Bible warned us about this coming mark of the beast in the future, then the Bible will also help us avoid the mark of the beast. Amen? If the Bible tells us about it, if it warned us about it, then surely the Bible will help us avoid this mark. The strongest warning, like we said last week in Revelation 14, is found here in verse 9 and 10. The Bible says if anyone, doesn't matter who you are, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on a forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lambs. God warns us, don't worship this beast, nor his image, or receive his mark in the future. The central issue in the great battle between Christ and Satan is crystallised in one question. Who should we worship? The word worship comes up 24 times just in the book of Revelation. 24 times. Is this mark of the beast a microchip or a barcode? Or is it a tattoo that people receive? What is this mark of the beast? To answer the question, we must first identify who the beast is of Revelation 13, the first beast is. Last week we nailed him. We saw that in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, we're both talking about the little horn or the first beast. We saw a rising out of the sea. We saw the lion. We saw parts of the lion. We saw the bear. We saw parts of the bear. We saw the leopard. We saw parts of the leopard. We saw the terrible beast or the beast. We saw the ten horns. We saw that it would speak great things against God. That it would reign for 1260 years during the Dark Age period. We saw that this same power persecutes God's people. He makes war with the saints and he will think to change the times and laws of God. And then finally, just before the second coming, will come the mark of the beast. Therefore, the mark of the beast must come from this power that we just described. Because it's the mark of this beast, if that makes sense. Last week we learned that Revelation 13 predicts that there's going to be some kind of enforced civil and religious 
worship just before Jesus comes. The book of Revelation teaches that everyone in the end will be either sealed or marked in the end. If we receive the mark of the beast, we cannot be sealed. If we are sealed by God, it is impossible to receive the mark of the beast. Very, very important to understand that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this warning that you've given us in the book of Revelation. We thank you for your word that when this comes upon the world, it will not be taken us by surprise. And I'm sure your people will be shocked when it comes out. I'm sure your people will be worried and praying and pressing closer to you. But this morning I pray that you give us an understanding of your word, understanding of the seal of God especially, that how important the seal of God is, that one day it will not be just a reality of what we read about in the Bible, it will be actually happening in society that that great angel will rise from the east, ready to seal God's people. Father, educate us today. Convict us and lead us into all truth, that these truths are present truth. These truths are so important to understand that we may be your people, the people of the book, that we may rightly divide the word of God, that the Holy Spirit may speak to us this morning, that he may convince us that he may encourage us to fear no one except you, Lord, to reverence you and to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Revelation chapter 7, we see the seal of God being given to all the saints. Just before the second coming of Jesus, the Bible says, Then I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels who hold back the winds of strife upon this planet. Do not harm the earth, the sea, and the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And then as we go to Revelation 14, Revelation 14 expands upon this scene. The Bible says, Then I looked, John saw, and behold, a lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000, having the Father's name written across their foreheads. Saints, the saints are sealed with the Father's name on their foreheads, meaning their thoughts, their beliefs are sealed in their minds. And the Bible says that we choose our beliefs here. This is who we choose to worship. And in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 8 says, Seal the law among my disciples. And when we look at the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8, the Bible says God wants to have these laws within our minds. He wants to plant these laws within our minds. And so when we look at the seal or the mark of authority in ancient times, the seal would have three things. We see the Father's laws, the Father's name. We see that his laws becomes his character and his laws and character are being put in our minds. So when we see a seal in ancient times, it would have the name of the king, it would have the title of the king and it would have the territory of that he ruled over, the land where he ruled. When we look at God's seal... 
also contains the same elements. In the heart of God's law, the Ten Commandments, is the fourth commandment containing the seal of God within the Ten Commandments. We see his name in red. Now if I read this out, I want to show you. For in six days the Lord made or created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that, is, all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. I want you to notice there, in red, we see his name twice. In fact, in Revelation, in this Exodus 20, three times in the fourth commandment, his name is mentioned. And then we see his title. He's a creator. He made everything, so he's a creator in green. And then we see his dominion in blue. The heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that we see around us is his dominion. And so this is the seal of God. The Bible says that God promised Israel, for this is the covenant, this is the agreement, this is the contract that I'll make with the house of Israel. That after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws where? In their minds. If you by faith believe like Father Abraham, by right you are part of spiritual Israel. Amen? The Sabbath is a sign of creation and redemption. He rested after six days of creating. He rested in the tomb after dying on the cross. He even rested when he was dead. And then rising on Sunday, the first work day of the week. The Bible says after creation that God rested on the Sabbath. At Mount Sinai, Christ commanded the Sabbath to be kept. During his ministry, he worshipped on the Sabbath day, according to Luke chapter 4. Even in in his death, Christ observed the Sabbath. After his ascension, the church observed the Sabbath. And even the last day movement still proclaims it today. The Lord said, I gave them my what? My Sabbath to be a sign, a seal between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath is a sign between a living God and his people through all the ages. And the Bible says in Revelation, as it's coming to a climax, remember? Revelation 12, 13, and 14 is a climax of this battle between good and evil. As Revelation comes around, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. The seven-day Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, becomes the seal of God. In the future, the sign of our loyalty to our great creator. In Exodus 33, this is where it comes from. On the mountain as Moses was talking to God. Moses realises that God can see him. And in his heart, he longed to see God. He's heard his voice. He knows his voice. He's walked with God, but he wants to see God physically. So he says to the Lord, show me your glory. You see this story in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. Show me your glory. Let me have a glimpse of you. What you're really like. I just want to see you. And the Lord says, I will make my goodness 
pass before you. I will proclaim my name and I will give grace and compassion. The incredible thing is the next day after Moses comes to meet God, after he'd cut out two tables of stones that he had broken before, he comes to God and the Lord appears again. And notice his saints, who proclaims his name for the second time. The Bible says that the Lord passed by Moses. And he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And abounding in goodness and in truth. Keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then God wrote his name, he wrote his character, he wrote his laws with the finger of God. On tables of stone. And here, toward the end of this story, the Bible said, Moses was with the Lord for 40 days. He never ate or drank on that mountain. And then God wrote with his finger the words of the covenant of the Ten Commandments. The contract, the agreement between God and his people. In the Bible, when you think about it, name represents character. Abram became Abraham. Amen? Sarai became Sarah. Jacob, who struggled with God, becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter, and Saul, the one that persecuted God's people, becomes Paul. The seal of God is part of the seal of God is the name of God, which is the character of God, which is found in the law of God. You got that? The name of God, the character of God, which is found in the law of God. Did Jesus keep God's commandments when he'd done his ministry upon this earth? Amen. He kept all ten commandments. Amen? Amen. And that's what God wants to seal in our minds before he comes back. Saints, that's why the 144,000 had the Father's name sealed upon them because they have his character, they have his life, and they lift up all of his commandments. And so if the Father's name, his Lord, especially the fourth commandment, and his character is God's seal, sealed within our minds in the future, what is the mark of the beast? What is the opposite to keeping God's law or the Father's name? Remember, for every truth of God, that there is a counterfeit. And there we see he's sitting like God, like on his own mercy seat, sitting between the two angels. This is a carbon copy of the most holy place. In Matthew 12, in Mark 2, and in Luke 6, Jesus claimed to the Jewish leaders that he was Lord of the Sabbath. Not just the creator of this holy day, but Lord of the Sabbath. It was a mark or a seal of his authority. And with this in mind, let's think about this. If Christ has a special day of worship, if God has a special day of worship, 
If there is a counterfeit for every truth of God, should not the Antichrist have his own special day of worship? Let's be fair and ask them the question, what is Rome's mark of authority? Just 99 years ago, Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the what? The Bible, and this transference of the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath observance, is proof of that fact. Of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a mark of ecclesiastical authority or church powers in religious matters. How did God know? hundreds of years before that this system even existed, that they would use this mark of the beast or talk about this mark as a sign of her power. How did God know that? We're talking almost a thousand years in advance. The mark of the beast hinges around in forced worship in the future. It'll be very likely that Sunday will be resulted and observance will eventually become worldwide. Saints, I want to make it clear this morning that there is not one soul upon the planet Earth that has the mark of the beast yet. Amen? There is not one soul because we are not being forced to worship on the Sabbath or Sunday or Wednesday or any day of the week. Amen? So the mark of the beast does not exist yet, but God warned us that the day will come. It's coming. And millions will be deceived into receiving this mark of the beast. They'll be forced to rest and to observe this day as a day of the sun, a day that is steeped in paganism, that has no authority from the word of God. They go on, how do you prove that the church has power to command feasts and holidays or change laws? By the very act of changing the Sabbath to Sunday, which Protestants what? Allow of and therefore fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly and breaking most other feasts commanded by the same church. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals or precepts? Has she not had such power, they say, so you would not have substituted the observance of Sunday for the first day of the week for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, the seventh day, a change which there is no what? Bible authority. In fact, you can go to almost every single Sunday-keeping church and they will have at least one quote saying that they have no authority to worship on Sunday. That they can't, it can't be found in the Word of God. T. Enright said this back in 1884. I have repeatedly offered 1,000 to anyone who can prove to me from the Bible alone that I am bound to keep Sunday holy. There is no such law in the Bible. It is a law of the Holy Catholic Church alone. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Catholic Church says, no, by my divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first day of the week. And lo, the entire civilised world bows down in reverent obedience to the command of the Holy Catholic Church. Is this true, saints? Yet many of our beautiful sisters and brothers in the evangelical and Sunday Christian church have no clue that this is true. Sunday is based on customs, traditions for hundreds of years and a command 
of the Roman Catholic Church. Saints, we have to understand here that it's not enough, it was not enough for Christ just to say to us that he loved us. He demonstrated his love when he died on Calvary. Amen? His, his blood cried out to us, and we have to respond to that. It's not enough for us to say that we love God. We have to prove that we love God by keeping God's commandments. Amen? We don't keep his commandments to be saved, but because we're saved. Daniel 7 predicted almost a thousand years in advance that this system, this little horn power, would think and intend to change the times and laws of God. Not the laws of Vic Park Town City, but the laws of God, the divine laws found in his commandments. And the Bible says it's not going to happen just in the USA or England, but all, the whole world, we force. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in the right hand or in their foreheads. The Bible is very clear about it, that this is global, that this is worldwide. And this means that people's actions, their thoughts, people will believe with their minds. Okay? They will believe with their minds. Other people will believe with the right hand because it is just so much more convenient to receive the mark of the beast. It's not easy when you can't buy something. It's not easy when you can't sell something. Benjamin Franklin said, If religion is good, it will take care of itself. In other words, he's saying that if you have to have civil laws to force people to worship, that is very bad religion. Amen? You want to think about Donald Trump? Ben Carson was a tenth down from Donald Trump in 2016 election. Do you realise that? He was number 10 in US Congress. Now, just imagine for a moment if Ben Carson was elected to be a US president, a seven-day Adventist. Would you think it would be right? Would you think it would be fair that Ben Carson brings in a law that everybody had to keep the seventh-day Sabbath? Would that be right? We would never want to see that in our church. Amen? We would never want to see one of our members do that. Forced worship is not of God. Never has been and never will be. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? It's a response of love that he gave to us. In the Old Testament, this is where the, the, the mind and the hand, where it all comes from in Deuteronomy. God said to his people, and these words that I command you today shall be in your what? Shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And so when we think about where this all comes from, it started in the Old Testament. It started in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God's people were commanded to take these laws within their heart, to carry them everywhere. And so they used to carry them. There, see the right hand? And on their foreheads, they used to carry these laws, these words of life with them all the time. And God said, I want you to do even more than that. I want you to have them in your heart. I want you to live them. I want you to act it. The Bible said he caught it all. No one may buy or sell except one who had to mark the name of the beast or the number of his name. He who wisdom, let him understand the calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666. 
666 is the number of the beast. It's the number of a man. It's the number of his name. And when you look at this title here, I don't need this title to know who this power is. We realise as we add up in Roman numerals this title, this Latin title that Roman emperors gave to the papacy or the papal church, you add these Roman numerals up in Latin, in Roman numerals, and you end up with 666. And even as 2007, not long ago, he talked about it on Fox News. If you take the Roman numerals and add up this Latin title, guess what they add up to? 666, 4th of November, 2007. Here is Father of the Catholic Church confirming that Latin title. The mark of the beast will clearly be enforced Sunday worship. The central issue about this mark of the beast is not technology, but worship. Stop thinking about how they're going to do it. Think about it. It's all about worship. We have to be like Daniel, amen, Daniel's friends in Daniel 3. They would not bow down to that golden statue. They were willing to go into the fiery furnace, amen. Jesus was there amongst them. You don't focus on the mark of the beast. You focus on the seal of God, amen. So, is there much evidence outside the Roman church? This letter here was a very important one. John Paul II, he was the most, he was the rock star pope of all history. He was the most travelled pope of all history. He was the smiling pope that, 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 that diplomats went everywhere to see him. And he writes this letter, I think it was 1998. And it's a long, strong letter to the Catholics, his own people. That we need to exalt Sunday. We need to keep Sunday holy again. Too many of our people are not going to church anymore. Too many of our people are not keeping Sunday holy. And then he used a word that blew me away. He said that his own people should be called heretics who don't keep Sunday holy. Now that word in the, old, in the dark ages, that word heretic, that meant you lost your rights. That meant you went to jail. That meant your life was at risk. You'd be burnt at the stake. That is strong dark age language written in 1998. They even twist the scriptures and call Sunday the Sabbath. The first day of the week, the Sabbath to remember. They want the state to guarantee that workers, by law, can keep Sunday holy or have a day off. Even in Australia, not long ago, a member of the, of the Green Party, she wanted to enshrine in law the sanctity of Sunday as a day of rest. This is here. The Lord's Day Alliance has been going since 1988, 1888, sorry. They see Sunday as a mark of Christian unity. In Europe, you go to Germany, you're not allowed to mow your lawn on Sunday. They're way ahead of us. They're way advanced. The Europeans see this alliance between 
trade unions, civil society, religious communities, all committed to stop Sunday work for now. The biggest one now is environment. Environment is going to be big. Is there much evidence outside of the Roman church? There's stacks of evidence. I've actually deleted some of these stuff off. Climate crisis and coronavirus, lockdown, nature back. So they basically learned that because we were locked down, emissions were gone down to almost nothing when the world was resting, when it wasn't working. And so they've got an idea now that we need to lock down and have slow Sundays, a simple solution to global warming, to help the health of the planet. When the calendar blurs, everyone needs Shabbat. Just ask the Pope. Has someone got a smartphone still open that's been silenced? I want you to look up, what, ask the question, what is the seventh day of the week? Just remember that. What is the seventh day of the week? You have a look at home. The ISO based in Switzerland calls Sunday the seventh day of the week. They are slowly blurring the seventh day into the first day on our calendars. You watch this happen. If there is nothing you can do about the environment, they are saying, nothing may be the best thing you can do one day every week, particularly Sunday, do what? Do nothing. Don't go to work. Don't travel. Do nothing. Help the earth. Each earth, when earth demands Sabbath, learning from the pandemic. The eco-preacher. Once a week, give a beautiful planet, give our beautiful planet a diet, a, a, a day of rest, a green Sabbath day. And this one here, if you look up this one in, uh, in, the, in the news, you can still find it. It's a 10-minute article about the Biden administration and all the plans they have to change your life and force you to keep the environment betterly, to treat it betterly. Man, it's amazing what they're planning for us. Climate Sunday, an opportunity for churches to act for creation. Saints, I want you to turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 3 and the 10th chapter. And this is a very critical verse that God tells us about the day that we're running into. Revelation chapter 3 and the 10th verse. Now here, God is talking to the church before the Laodicean church, our church. And God is promising that this church, the church before the Laodiceans, that I will not allow this test come upon you, this global test, because all of those people in the former church, the sixth church, are now in their graves waiting for the resurrection. And so God promises that this test will not happen to those beautiful people back 1844 and before. But notice what he says. When it, when it affects us as a later seen people, the later seen church. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of, of, the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. The Bible says this is going to be global. The test that will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. The whole world will be faced with a test according to the Bible. And Revelation 14 tells us that there's going to be forced worship globally. It's talking about the same event. Will we worship 
the creator or will we worship the beast? That's the big question. It's about worship. It's about who we have our allegiance with. God is calling people from every single denomination. God is telling people, come out of her, my people. God has people in every single church. Amen? God has people who live up to all the light that I have, who love God with all their heart, and God is calling these people, come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon. Come out of confusion. Paul in Romans said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And the Bible says that they have no rest, talking about those who receive the mark of the beast, that they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives a mark of his name. He's my little brother, amen? The Bible says, come on to Jesus. Jesus will give you rest. Cast all your burdens upon him, amen? You will find rest for your souls, according to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come on to Jesus. I saw something like a sea of glass. John saw those who had victory with the Father's name sealed upon their foreheads. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the mark of the beast, over his image, over his mark and the number of his name, standing on a sea of glass, having harps of God. And Jesus tells us finally, if you love me, if you agape me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen? Live them. Because when we do this, others are going to come into the truth. Amen? When we stand, even though the heavens are going to fall, we will bring others into the truth. Amen? There are more who are going to hear the truth that are inside the remnant than are, that are outside the remnant. I believe the greater number is a church that we don't know yet. The greater number is in those, all those other denominations who are going to come in and come out of Babylon and going to come in and stand for Jesus Christ. Amen? Revelation 6 ends with a question. Who is able to stand when it comes to the second coming? Revelation 7 and 14 tells us that it's those who are sealed with the Father's name upon their forehead. They're the ones that can stand. Revelation 7 and 14 gives us the answer. Let your light shine. Amen. Be ambassadors of grace. Stand before the living God as those who keep all the commandments of God. Saints, I don't go looking for this stuff. This stuff comes from me. My wife found this for me. Just a few weeks ago, there was a historic climate law signed by Biden, and it has Catholic fingerprints all over it. Biden signed off on the largest federal investment in US history, 375 billion, mostly for climate change. The original bill was 3.5 trillion. Can you imagine it? 
It was basically 10 times bigger, but they couldn't get it through Congress. It was based mostly on this letter that was written in 2015 by Pope Francis, the current Pope. And I want you to notice the common theme, care for our common home, the earth, environmental, you know, that's been damaged on our planet, talking about global warming. And he wants the whole world to take what? Swift and unified global action. This is not about climate change, brothers and sisters. This is not about the environment. This is about the day of worship. That's where we're heading. This is just the undercurrent that is pointing us to this avalanche that's going to be... You know, it's like a tsunami. It's like a tsunami that's going to hit this planet and only those who know the word of God will be able to run into the mountains and know and be saved from this tsunami that's coming. It is global. This is how I know. Because this woman... The House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, she thanked Pope Francis for the signing of that environmental bill in federal USA Congress. She thanked him. Last week we predicted that these two powers are going to come together, that one would force the world to worship the first beast that received the deadly wound. Here we see the evidence that it's there already. We're way further down the track than we realise. Today, there are millions, there are millions of people who are all pushing in the same environmental direction. Even beautiful Christians from all denominations who have no idea where this ends up. On September 3rd, 2022, an evangelical group um, uh, released a 50-page report about the environment, about protecting the environment. And they say that this is a biblical mandate. And I believe that we should look after the environment. But the problem I have with the word mandate, that means that the government will force it. Amen? That's the problem I have with mandate. They know where we're heading. They planned all this. They've set all this up. They know exactly where we're heading. They know the end game. The Bible knows the end results. It's warned us about it. But most importantly this morning, Jesus Christ knows where we're heading. Amen? And he's going to care for us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to care for us right through until Jesus comes. Amen? Because remember that the second coming is a deliverance. Amen? It is a deliverance from persecution. It is a deliverance from this world. A few months ago, my daughter had a dream. And she was at a rubbish tip. And she saw that, that people were there at the rubbish tip and they were twisting the Bible scriptures. They were twisting the spirit of prophecy to use against God's people. So she ran away from that chaos, from the evil that she saw. She ran from there and she came to a large building, a huge building. 
And she saw a massive angel who was taller than the building. He came to Hannah and he said, time is up. Imagine having this dream where the angel says to you, time is up. It's over. She saw that many angels in the garb of humanity were going to the adults and warning them. She couldn't hear what they were saying, but they were warning the adults. They were warning, get ready, be ready. And she saw that many adults, or some adults, went back to their wicked ways. The children were playing as normal, not knowing what was going on all around them. When I heard about this dream, I know that God had given the dream to Hannah because she's not ready. And God often gives us these dreams or visions because we are not ready for the second coming of Christ. Amen? I've had this three times already in my life. God warning me that I'm not ready for his return. Several things about this dream told me that it was a divine dream. The first thing was the environmental angle. I preached about this two years ago in Kalgoorlie Church. Secondly, having a dream that tells her that she is not ready is very common amongst God's people. Thirdly, the angel saying that time is up tells us that we are much closer than what we may realise. Saints, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to preparing for Jesus Christ, we have to live like it may be 20 years or it may be two years. You know what I'm saying? We have to play the long game. We have to play the short game. We have to adapt rapidly. The Bible says in Joel, the second chapter, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God is going to pour out his spirit like we've never seen before, before Jesus comes. Amen? And that is going to be a big part of how and why we'll be ready. Why? Because the second coming is likely to be much closer than what we realise. And it shall come to pass, the Bible says, and whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Even amongst the remnant whom the Lord called. That's what Joel says. These evil plans have no power over God's people over those who belong to the Lord. Amen? Because they were defeated by Christ and his victory is our victory. Amen? They are making war with the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of Lords, he is King of Kings. This morning, I pray that you desire to receive the seal of the living God. Amen? I hope you believe and recognise that Sunday observing is based upon tradition and not the Bible. We have to do our homework on this. If we are going to church on Sunday, we have to ask the question, why am I worshipping on Sunday? Thirdly, I want to commit to following Jesus Christ and keeping all of his commandments, not just the Sabbath. Amen? Next week, in search of the remnant, may God bless you all and don't miss next week.
This message was made available by the Victoria Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Vic Park SDA Church. Jesus, may the day be near. 
and every wrong will be made right. All that's made will be made sight. And of shadows only light, there is a kingdom coming. There is a kingdom coming. The New Freedom Quartet sang, There is a Kingdom Coming. And before that, we heard, I have decided to follow Jesus by New Hearts for Christ. And coming up next, Marleta Fong will sing, Give Me Jesus. I could hold diamonds in my hand Own a thousand mansions by the sea Write the secrets of
compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Koval Smith. This story is entitled, $50,000. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. It was a critical point in Remnant Publications history, a point when we believed God wanted us to grow our publishing ministry. To accomplish that, we needed a saddle stitcher which staples together magazines and pamphlets. We went to a printing show in Chicago where we found a German company that sells those machines. They told us that since we were a ministry, they would sell us the demonstration model they had on the show floor for $20,000 less than the usual price. We would also save several thousand dollars in freight by shipping the machine from Chicago to Michigan rather than all the way from Germany. Still, the cost was $125,000. We made the 10% down payment, but before they would deliver the saddle stitcher and assemble it in our plant, we needed to pay another $50,000. We quickly began raising funds and praying. We call donors who love what Remnant does and ask them to help. We received a couple hundred dollars here and there, but nowhere near the $50,000 we needed. The company representative would call from time to time to find out how our funds were coming along. Each time I had to tell him we were not ready to buy. Meanwhile, the stitcher remained in storage. Finally, after about 90 days, I said to the sales rep, Listen, we will buy a saddle stitcher from you, but I can't tell you when. If you need to sell this machine, go ahead. I don't want to hold you up. I appreciate that, he said, because we do have another buyer. We agreed to stay in touch. About 30 days later, the rep called again. You'll never believe it but we have another machine available just like the one you wanted. It's brand new, still in the crate. A customer ordered it and paid the shipping for it, but then something happened and they couldn't afford the machine. We will bring it to your place, put it together and train your staff on how to use it all for free. The assembly and training alone could cost $10,000, so this was a good deal. But of course, we still needed to make that $50,000 payment. That's great, I said. How soon do I need to get back to you? We can only hold it for a few days, the rep told me. That was on a Friday. On Monday, my secretary came into the office. Her face was white. I think you need to look at this letter, she said holding out an envelope. I opened the envelope to find a note from an older woman in the South. I've been praying about who to give this money to, she wrote. I was impressed that you needed these funds. Enclosed was a cheque for exactly 
$50,000. A reflection associated with this story comes from the Desire of Ages, page 371. The means in our possession may not seem to be sufficient for the work, but if we will move forward in faith, believing in the all-sufficient power of God, abundant resources will open before us. If the work be of God, he himself will provide the means for its accomplishment. He will reward honest, simple reliance upon him. The little that is wisely and economically used in the service of the Lord of heaven will increase in the very act of imparting. In the hand of Christ, the small supply of food remained undiminished until the famished multitude was satisfied. If we go to the source of all strength with our hands of faith outstretched to receive, we shall be sustained in our work, even under the most forbidding circumstances, and shall be enabled to give to others the bread of life. $50,000 was written by Dwight Hall, founder and CEO of Remnant Publications in Coldwater, Michigan. Remnant produces Christian books and resources for spiritual growth and evangelism. You can visit remnantpublications.com for more information. You've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio, featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.